All right, well, hey, good morning. Happy Father's Day. Oh, man. I, I'm, a, I'm a daddy, come on. I mean, this morning was a little bit hectic, but uh, we had some family over, and, uh, and so that put the babies in bed with us. And I just, I mean, anybody agree with this, man? When, you, when they're asleep, <laughs> they're just so beautiful, you know? I mean, when they're running around and screaming, and there's a, but when they're asleep, man, it's just like I could just sit there and look at them forever, right? Man, I absolutely love being a daddy, and so, uh, man, I hope today's uh, an awesome day for you dads. We are in the middle of this series called uh, Who Am I? This is going to be the third week of a four-week series, and really what it's been looking at, if you haven't been around, I know summer, everybody's traveling here and there, but we're really trying to attack the, really the two things that have really uh, stunted the growth of most believers in the church, I believe, and one is our understanding of our identity. Who, who we are, who we are in Christ. And then that second piece is his authority. Who is God? And usually there's a breakdown. If you really get down to it, there's a breakdown in one of those two areas that, that really causes us not to grow, not to mature, uh, holds us back in obedience, holds us back in our peace and joy. There's, we either we don't understand who, who we are or we don't understand who he really is. And in the beginning, we, we jumped first to you know, our identity. And to do that, we've been looking at Isaiah chapter 6 and this, this encounter that Isaiah had in the presence of God. And so to look at who we are, we've looked at his response, really, to, to being in the presence of God and what he saw and what he experienced. And so in a way, we're going to kind of go back to the beginning now and really look at that vision. What did he see? What did he encounter in Isaiah chapter 6? And I wish I could do this, but I know that there is no way I can come anywhere close but when I read this story and I read what happened, it is, it's an assault on the senses. I mean, you, you were already, as we've read through it a few weeks, you've probably picked up. I mean, he's in a room where there are these angels and their voices are so loud that the whole, the bass tone of their voices is, is shaking the whole temple. There are, there's this smoke that has filled the room that we talked about, you know, from, from this altar of sacrifice and of incense, of this, this pleasing aroma before God. There are, I mean, you've got to imagine what that smoke and even uh, what that would taste like and smell like. You know, the vision of God and all of his glory and how bright and incredible that must be. I mean, just every one of his senses. And we live in a place that, to be honest, if you think back over your life, it's rare that all of your senses were engaged at once. We just, you know, it's, there's not as many people around. You know, we might be in a place that it's really loud, but then the other things aren't there. We might be in a place that we taste a lot of food or something that really we are taste, but then it's, are we here? Or, you know, there's, it's always one or the other, but it's rarely all. And I really hadn't experienced this until I started traveling overseas and being in some places where there are a whole lot of people who love a whole lot of color and love a lot of noise and a lot of spices. <laughs> you hit one of those places, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, my goodness. And, and India has kind of been our place, and, and it has been described multiple times. I've seen it described as an assault on your senses because when you get off the airplane, you do. You hit a place that horns are honking, people are everywhere, color is everywhere, uh, tastes are so different than what you've ever and it. You are just assaulted. In fact, I, uh, I've taken several teams over the years, and always when somebody's you know, first there, their first time, they just, the response to that is really overwhelming. In fact, one girl named Barbara, she, uh, we'd only been there a little while. I knew that she wasn't sick from anything that we had eaten, 
but she was sick. She was dizzy. She was throwing up. I uh, got her to a place where she could lay down. And as we tried to diagnose what was going on, it was just motion sickness. She was just all the color and all the sound and all the movement. It, it had just overwhelmed her. And we gave her some Dramamine, and it fixed it. I mean, it was just that much. And lately, I've, I've kind of gotten into a few documentaries. And it's just always funny, these travel documentaries. They'll always make a stopover in India. And every time, this one I watched recently called Departures, these two 20-year-old guys, and they're traveling the world, and they're seeing all these real scenic places. And then to get up to the Himalayas, they have to go through Delhi, and they stop in. And all they do during that time is talk about how quickly they can they get out of this place because it is so loud and it is so con- they just can't take it anymore. Get us out of here. Yesterday, I watched one about a, a family that was surfing all these places around the planet, and they also made a pass through. And that video, the little boy was on his dad's shoulders, and the whole time he was just walking like this. Like, oh, I can't take it anymore. Um, because it's that much. It's just overwhelming. And I can't imagine what it would be like to be Isaiah in this, that a gazillion times more, you know? Uh, the closest I can imagine in, in India in like a Hindu temple, in a place that every possible way that you could worship these idols, they're, they're, they found a way to do it. There are bells ringing, there are people chanting, they are walking and circling around the idols, uh, they're, they're eating uh, what's called prasat, which is food that's offered to the idol, and, they're in, and you're, you take off your shoes, and so your feet are, are touching all those, you know, water on the floor, and, and there's always smoke in that place. They, they use incense. And so in this passage, when we see the room is filled with smoke, it's really hard for us to get a mind around that because when have you been in a worship setting that was filled with smoke? And that visual of, <laughs> unless the house is burning down, we don't want to do that, right? But we do have kind of a smoke machine, but it doesn't really fill the room, right? And it doesn't have that smell, that scent of this pleasing aroma that you can visually see this worship going to God. So I thought I would try this morning just to give us a little glimpse. So I brought some incense. And I'm just going to set it out here, and uh, I mean, like I said, this is horribly incomplete, but maybe, just maybe, you know, our first encounter with this, Terry probably right now is going, please don't do that, because she does not like the smell, and you may not either, but I'm hoping three sticks doesn't, doesn't cause us too much trouble. I was having trouble with one of them. All right, they'll start to get some smoke going. So as that goes, let's, let's read this passage again. Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Try to picture this, this setting. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, and for my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, 
having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from the, with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I. Send me. This passage begins with a statement that I really think the, the rest of the passage is a contrast to. It starts out with, In the year that King Uzziah died. King Uzziah was a king that had reigned for 52 years. You know, we're, we're used to maybe a leader who gets four, maybe eight. Whether we like or dislike that leader, we know that, it, that there's a time frame. And we know there's only so much impact that they can have. Imagine if they were in, uh, were able to reign and rule for 52 years. And this was a leader that they, they liked and that had done a good job, that had followed the Lord. And so they had peace and they had confidence and they had security in this King Uzziah. But King Uzziah has died. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Two big things I see. One... The year. You see, this King Uzziah is a man, and he lives on a time frame, and a clock is ticking. What does the Bible say about men? That we are like grass of the field. We grow for a minute in all of the glory, and then, and then we go away, and our place remembers it no more. Or like a, a breath, a vapor in the air when, when it's cold outside, and you see it for a second, and then it's gone. That's how quick life goes. That men are, are dying. That there's a, a time frame. I, I've realized this lately, which is scary to me to only be 41. And I'm starting to f- feel my, uh, my uh, frailness. I was running with Brennan the other day. He's, he's just starting into cross country, and I'm trying to get back into running. So we went for a little run around the track, and we were going to take 10 laps. And we go to take that lap. We're running together, you know, beside each other. And we go to take that last lap. And he says, hey, Dad, let's race at the end. Last 100. Now, back in the day when I was in track, like, the kick was my favorite part. Man, I would almost save up so at the end I could pass some fools. Like, that's, that's the point. You know, I wanted to just smoke him. And when he said that, I'm like, all right, all right, bring it. So we get around, and we go to hit that last hundred, and he hits that other gear, and I reach down to try to downshift. You know, when you, when you can't find that gear, you know, it's like it just, it just, it just wasn't there, man. And I, I noticed that I was thinking in my mind, I'm going to go faster, but I don't know if I went any faster. And he just smoked me. The other day in staff meeting, I was uh, holding my phone out reading it, and everybody started to make fun of me because I was holding it out so far. And they said, you probably need glasses. I said, man, I don't need glasses. And then I brought it in closer, and it all went blurry. Oh, man, I guess I do. Because I'm just a man, and my days are numbered. This King Uzziah, his days were numbered. In fact, at the end of his reign, he, uh, he had some pride issues, and he got leprosy as a result, and he died a leper. He was just a man. But this was a time when the Assyrians, who had this, total, uh, this advanced army, were on a war path. And everybody was afraid. And if Uzziah was in, in control, then things were okay. But now this year... King Uzziah has died, and the people are afraid. This is the year that Isaiah has this vision in front of the Lord. And look at what he saw. He said, I saw the Lord, in contrast to King Uzziah, I saw this Lord who is eternal. 
who isn't, you know, limited by time or space, who doesn't have a day of his death, but who has always been and who will always be. I saw the Lord, this Lord in the original language is the name for God, Adonai, which specifically brings attention to his rulership and his dominion. I saw Adonai, and I saw him seated. Now, why does it matter that he's seated? He's not up, running around, worried. He's not wringing his hands. He is in the position uh, that is at rest. When, <laughs> when we first moved over to India, Brennan, uh, Caleb was five and Brennan was two and still in diapers. And diapers aren't something they really do much in India, and the ones that they do are like, like paper towels. It doesn't really do much. But you could find these really kind of nice uh, baby stores in posh neighborhoods that had all of the things imported at a, at a price point, but it imported that you could buy. And they had boxes of the diapers that we wanted to use and the pacifiers and all that. And I would routinely, way too much, I would have to go to the store and buy these nice diapers. And when I would walk in, every time I noticed something, it was one of those stores that everything was just piled up on top of each other. They just brought it in and threw it in. And you'd have to go up and talk to the guy that owned it. And every time, I've even been back there since just to check and see. And the owner of that store would sit behind the cash register propped up on his chair, and not move a muscle, except just to take your money. And he was not worried, not hurried, not concerned. He had six or seven guys that would just do his bidding. You would ask a question, and he would tell a guy, and he would go get you what you needed. And he was seated. He had nothing to worry about. Adonai is seated and in total control. And I don't know about you, but when the whole world feels like it's falling apart and you wonder, just remember that Adonai is seated. He's sovereign, and he's in control. I saw Adonai seated, and he was seated upon a throne. Not just any normal seat, but a seat that's exalted. And when you watch those old movies about the thrones and the kings and you see these crazy ornate thrones, could you imagine what this throne must look like? You know, I've never even seen one, and I can't, I can't put my mind around the diamonds and the gold and the, how massive it must be. But I have been in places where I saw a seat that was designated as a position of authority. You've been in those spots? Last week at staff meeting, Charlie was out of town, and there's a seat that he sits in. Actually, it's a place that he sits. He gets the chair from his office that rolls it out, and he sits there. And nobody sat there. Jokes were made. Finally, somebody came in late and had to sit there because that was the only spot left at the table, and we made fun of them. Why? Because that's the seat of authority, and there's something about that location and that seat. There's no way I'm about to sit in that seat. There was one time there was this church that uh, Terry and I were kind of interviewing with and going to work with them and serve them, and, and they brought us in, and the whole church came, and they were all seated around this stage, and they took the two nicest chairs they had in the place, and they put them up on the stage and set us up in this position. And when we walked in, I think Terry verbally said, man, I'm not going to sit on the throne. I mean, that's what it looked like. But we're not going to, the worst night of our lives, man. We got people throwing out crazy questions, and we're up on the throne. And it was just like, man, get me out of here as quick as you can. One time, uh, I was traveling with these guys on a, a co- coffee sourcing trip in Burundi, in, uh, in East Africa, and, uh, and it had been a full week, and on Sunday, they, they knew that we were followers of Jesus, and so they, they took us to what they said was going to be a church, 
And we drove forever up in the mountains, and we came to this kind of pavilion place where there weren't really any cars outside, and you didn't see any people, but this building was pretty big. And we, they took us in this back room, and we were in our shorts and T-shirts, and these three guys came and sat down in these nice suits. I mean, the nicest suits. I mean, they were like to the T. And I felt really uncomfortable. But then they started walking us out, and I'm thinking there's going to be a few people in a room. We walk out, and there are thousands seated around this stage, and there are these seats up on the stage, and they ask us to take those seats, and the people began to say, sing. And I was very, very, very uncomfortable. I did not deserve to be in this seat. In contrast, Adonai deserves the throne. He's in his right place, seated in the place of, of dominion. Adonai is seated. He's seated on a throne, a place of honor. And this, this throne, it says, is high and lifted up. It's not on the same level with, with Isaiah. It's, it's, it's higher. Since our boys have started to compete in wrestling, it's the first time I've been like in an individual sport where at the end, it's like the Olympics. You know, you've got third place and second place and first place. And so at the end, the winner is always high and lifted. And there's been some times, there's always the second place and first place are battling at the end to see who's going to be the winner. And sometimes it feels just that that guy is high and lifted. And sometimes it feels unjust because it feels like the other guy was actually better, but there was a fluke and this guy won and he ended up, and it's like, man, that's not right. He shouldn't be looking down at the others. Adonai should be looking down. His reign and his rule is supreme. And his throne is high and exalted. Then it says, the train of his robe fills the temple. Now, the only time I've really seen a train of a robe is, you know, weddings. I don't even know if that's much uh, that people do anymore, but they were still doing it when we got married. And I remember Terry had, and she had the dress, and she had the, the train that came out that was so long, and she had to have some help walk, climbing the stairs and everything with it. And now, why did she do that? Why, why do girls do that? Because, fellas and mamas, the point of wedding day is the bride. She's the only girl in the room that has the train on her dress, and all attention is brought to her. Not everybody's got a train on their dress. Wouldn't that be a horrible wedding, right? Everybody's tripping and falling. No, one girl has the train, and it, and it shows that she's in the position of all attention. In fact, at the coronation of Queen Elizabeth, she had an 18-foot-long train. And she had six maids that helped carry them and move, move them around so she could get from place to place. That's nothing. It says that Adonai has a train on his robe that fills the temple. So it's not just going down the steps. It's not 18 feet long. No, it's going down the aisles. It's going underneath your chairs. It's going up into the balcony. It's hanging out the windows. His train fills the temple. That's the God we worship says above him stood the seraphim which is literally the burning ones burning with adoration for Yahweh and they're above him which confused me a little bit at first right because we're talking about hey the one that's seated up high and they're even above him so what what does that mean but hold on says these these crazy beings have six wings and with two they're they're hovering but with the other four with two, they cover their feet, and with two, they cover their, their eyes. What does that mean? They're, they're hovering above him, but they're covering their feet to show that they, uh, they are below him. 
we, we don't do this as much. I mean, if I hold my foot up and show you the bottom of my shoe, it may not mean anything to you. But in the rest of the planet, if you show somebody the bottom of your foot, that's the worst possible disgrace that you could give to them. That's the reason a few years ago when President Bush, that uh, Iraqi journalist, threw his shoes at him. And I remember a lot of people going, what? Why did he throw his shoes at him? That's silly. And then the rest of the world's like, ooh, ooh. I mean, he threw his shoes at him. In, in Thailand, because so much respect is given to the king, the days that there's a parade or something, all the bridges and those sorts of things are shut down because nobody can stand above him and their feet be pointed towards him out of respect. These burning ones cover their feet. It also says that they cover their faces, which I'm sure part of it is just in the sight of this holy God. They're covering their faces. But it also makes me think about uh, I don't know if this happens to you, but when I get on to the twins, Jack and Darcy both, I'll hold them up and look, try to look them in the eye, say, look at me now, and they'll go like this. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Look at me, boy. Yes, sir. They can't look upon authority. The seraphim can't look at him. They, they cover their faces. And then it looks like these, these angelic beings... Copy after the hog fans. They must be hog fans, maybe. I don't know, but it says, you know, my favorite part of being at a Razorback game is, is not the whoo pig suey because I can't hit that tone. It's like I'm always, like, struggling. Ooh, ooh, ooh. But the part that we go, Arkansas, come on, yeah. I mean, everybody knows what to do, man. And when that whole stadium is going and one side saying Arkansas and the other side saying Razorbacks, there's just something sweet that happens in that place. Even if we're losing, it's like, hey, this is cool, you know. Well, imagine what this was like. This seraphim, he's saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the other seraphim is saying back, the whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And it says that it was so loud that the thresholds of this temple are shaking. Not like the hog fans, <laughs> especially the last few years, right? Holy, holy, holy. The whole place is, is shaking as they say this back and forth to one another. Holy, holy, holy. Why three times holy? It could be just repu- repetition. You know, he's holy. Yes, you better believe he's holy. You, did you hear me the first two times? This God is holy. It could be that we're talking about a triune God who is one, but Father, Son, and Spirit. Holy is the Father. Holy is the Son. Holy is the Spirit. Could be talking about this God is holy, past holy. He's holy, present holy. He's holy, future holy. There's so much that goes along with this Adonai that we could go all day. I don't know if three holies is enough. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And he says... The, res- the response is, the whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth. That means if you open your eyes just a little bit and walk out these doors, you will see the glory of God on display. Which the glory of God on display is basically his holiness, his set-apartness and power on display. And so last night, we're, uh, we're out on a walk, and Jack looks up, and he sees the moon, and he said, it's really funny, he said, the moon is broken because, because it was a crescent moon. 
And so he said it, it was broken. We need to fix it. <laughs> it looked like it was only half of it. But it was this beautiful moon in the sky. And if you just stop for a second and look at it, you have to go, man, this, this God is big. But then what about these crazy fish that live in the ocean that people would never see, that have a little light that comes in front of them, and they, they swim around and only God sees them? I watched another documentary the other day about uh, this, this mountain peak called Meru that, uh, and these guys that made a first descent. And the video and the pictures they took on this first descent, the first time that human feet had been in that place and seen that thing, and it was so incredibly beautiful. God on display, His glory on display, and only He had seen it. I mean, there's things we haven't seen that display His glory and His beauty. But there's none more beautiful, and there's none more powerful, and there's none more glorious than when a holy God redeems a sinful man or woman. As it says, as Isaiah says in the, later on in the passage, and takes their guilt away and atones for their sin, and turns this, this thing that was full, this person who was full of sin and disobedience and turns them into a trophy of his grace and his mercy, and they become a diamond on display of his power and his glory. The whole earth is full of his glory, and no more than you and me redeemed. The whole earth is full of his glory. But you know, I fear that as much as we can try this morning to think about that and envision it, that it would remain in Isaiah chapter 6 on page 571 in my Bible. And the intention is that if you looked into your own heart right now, that inside of your heart, inside of my heart, that it would look like that. Adonai on his throne, high and exalted, and everything in your being screaming out, holy, holy, holy is this Lord God Almighty, and let my life be full of his glory. You know, there was this little pamphlet that uh, Collegiate Ministry used to hand out, and, uh, and there was one page that really impacted me. It was just a picture of uh, a self-directed, what it said, called a self-directed life or a Christ-directed life. And the self-directed life had a, had a circle and, and, uh, and the things of life kind of around the circle, but then in the center was a throne, and on the throne was self, was me. And then there was this picture of the Christ-centered life. And it was the same picture, the throne, but at the center of that throne, in the center of my life, was Jesus. Which is you? Is this picture what's happening in your soul this morning, or is, have you set yourself on the throne? And I will promise you, as long as you are on that throne, any moment that I've put myself there, that everything starts to break and fall apart. All joys out the window, all hopes out the window, all pieces out the window, all my decision-making and the obedience that, that brings about life begins to go away, and I find a path of death. Every time. But when you rightly have Adonai on the throne, which, by the way, whether you choose to accept it or not, he is on the throne. But if you choose to yield and make your life about that, then you reap the benefits. 
a focus of tension and worship on the one true God and the only one that can set you free. So I'm going to ask you on these next few minutes as we sing these songs, and I'm going to tell you, uh, we've already done this once, and these next three songs talk about this. And if you will just for a second ask that question, is this what your heart looks like? I believe that that God's going to do something in you. So let me pray for us. Father, I am... I am well aware that uh, this is true, but that we, that I am really quick to downsize you. We tend to upgrade and, uh, and supersize all the things that don't matter. And somehow we, we're quick to downsize you and the things that do matter. And try to make you like us and try to put you in a box that we can understand. And Father, I'm just asking that you would, you would blow the walls off that box, that you would bring attention to how small these other things are and how insignificant and how quickly they pass away and how huge and how eternal and how powerful and wonderful you are and that you would gain our attention and that you would increase our affection and our adoration and you would just put us in awe. Because that's what you deserve. Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. Amen.